Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I am a psychotherapist, an author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And hello to Sean, our director in the studio. This is a show about what matters most in our life, our mind, thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. Today, I will share the tip of the week about being defensive toward people when they're talking to you. And what is that about? And then I bring you Dr. Nader Javadi. He is a, a hematologist and a renowned oncologist. He has embarked on an innovative venture uh, that has, um, have made in a sought after pioneer in the field of oncology. He is the assistant clinical professor at UCI School of Medicine and the medical director of Hope Health Center, um, bringing precision assessment and technology into the treatment of cancer. Um, it was a great conversation and I hope you, you truly, truly enjoy it. And then I bring you Behnam Bakhshande. Dr. Behnam Bakhshande, he's an accomplished business manager known widely as a dynamic writer, speaker, personal and business coach and trainer and over two decades of hands-on experience. He's an organizational development specialist and he's the author of Anatomy of Upset, Restoring Harmony. Another book by him is Conspiracy of Greatness, Mastery of Love Within. Today, we're all actually going to be talking about his latest book that he co-authored, Organization Development Interventions, and uh, which will be uh, released in August. And we will be talking about how um, interventions in organizational development could really, really help your businesses. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast and connect with me through Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn, any of them that you like, or Facebook, all of them Dr. Fujian Sain. Um, I'd love to hear from you, your suggestions, um, your questions to be able to answer and uh, be there with you. So here it, here it is. But first, wait for the tip of the week. Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm a psychotherapist and a life coach for the past 30 years, and I'm the originator of the awareness integration therapy. I'd love to be able to support you in any matters of life that shows up for you that you need support. So call me at 818-648-2140. I am available to do online therapy or coaching, anyone who's around the world. And my, you can also join me in my office in San Clemente, California, if you'd like to uh, come to the office. So call me at 818-648-2140 or go to fujon.com. I look forward to hearing from you and having the opportunity to support you in things that are in your life and you just want to excel and create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. Here's the tip of the week. 
are people saying you were defensive? Have you gotten that feedback before? Have you noticed at times when you are down on yourself and don't have a positive sense of who you are, you might be listening defensively? Have you had the experience of asking someone, do you know where my jacket is? And they respond back with, why? Do you think I took it? You always blame me. And you're kind of like baffled about how did a very simple question turn into a defense and then an attack. So the art of active listening is about hearing the content, the emotion, and possibly the speaker's intentions. However, when you have loud, negative, and self-critical thoughts that may produce feelings of guilt, frustration, sadness, anxiety, shame, or anger, you are already full, 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 right up to here. Um, and any other information from outside gets mixed up with the internal struggle and does not allow you to take in the message accurately. If you observe yourself responding in a defensive manner or receive feedback from others about not hearing people and acting defensively, then it is time to check your own internal dialogue. If you observe that you only get defensive with certain people or certain dialogue, then notice what about them uh, or what they say, the topic of what they're saying triggers you and it triggers you in a negative way. Uh, those are the ones that the thought process that shows up inside of you as a reaction to someone else is, is yours. So we've got to get to know what they are. Getting clear about what upsets you allows the observation of the source of the upset so it can be cleaned up. You want to know where it comes from. This process allows you to be responsible and accountable for your thoughts, your emotional process, and your action. So getting clear internally also allows you to be open to hearing messages from others clearly and as they are intended. And I'm not saying that people might not intend to, some, to say something negative about you, but the point is, can you hear the negative concept and see if it's theirs or yours, or what is it that you can distinguish? So if you find yourself arguing in your own head and with others frequently, then you're occupied with some negative self-talk that needs to be noticed, distinguished, cleaned up, and cleared. These negative thoughts could be about generalization and generalizing some matter about yourself, such as I'm bad, I'm a failure, I can't do anything right. Um, and then you hear everything from that. Or they can also be generalized thoughts about others, such as no one likes me, people are rude, everyone's an idiot. Um, and that's how then you would view the world. Most generalized beliefs are not accurate. And many variables can be found to dispute the accuracy of those generalized beliefs that you have. So distinguishing what is real and what is catastrophizing fiction will help you see the reality about you and other people. It's much more efficient when you can act upon reality versus holding a fantasy about yourself and others, which even negative ones. So you probably go around with the negative ones versus the positive ones. That's why you get defensive. So when your head and heart are clear, you can connect with yourself and others. 
in a loving manner and actually here with the best of intentions. For more observational skills, go to my book, Life Reset, The Awareness Integration Path to Create the Life You Want. And thank you for listening. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Fujan Zain, and I am excited to be with Dr. Nader Javadi. He's a recognized by Continental uh, Who's Who as 2018 Prominent Professional of the Year in the field of healthcare, a forerunner in the evolutionary advancement in the medical field. Dr. Javadi has embarked on innovative ventures that have made it uh, made in a sought-after pioneer in a field of oncology. He's the assistant clinical professor at the UCI School of Medicine, and he's the director of Hope Health Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Javadi. Thank you. I really appreciate it for having me. It's a pleasure to be in your program. I'm really excited about what you're doing at Hope Health Center. Not only that you are working with cancer patients um, for, in, you know, in order to treat them, uh, but you're also working with an innovative um, genetic mechanism, which I really um, I'm intrigued and interested in knowing. Um, as I was sharing with you, I was just uh, presenting in the Society of Brain Mapping Society, which are working with a lot of neuroscientists. And they were also talking about how the um, industry, let's say the, um, the science of genetics um, and assessment through the genetics in how it, it, it's worked so well when it comes to the medical industry and how we have the science and how to apply it. And it's not really out there and bringing it together to the public is an innovative concept, which you are doing at this point at Hope Health Center. Sure. Uh, let me uh, start uh, by telling you uh, some uh, background story about uh, the precision medicine. For the last two decades, uh, there is a new era in uh, treating all the diseases, not only cancer, everything in medicine. It's called precision medicine. There was an initiative signed by, doc, uh, by um, President Obama uh, back in 2011, that the Congress mandates uh, uh, investment in precision medicine. So when we talk about the precision medicine means matching a medicine or medication uh, to a, a disease or a gene. When we uh, more specifically talk about the precision oncology, uh, that means matching a gene and, uh, or a mutation uh, to a protein, to a compound that we can make it and block the function of that specific abnormal mutation and improve the disease outcome. So uh, everything now, it depends on genetics. As you know, uh, genetically, we are different individuals. Even twin brothers, twin sisters, they have minor differences in their genes. Uh, when it comes to a cancer or disease, uh, let's say uh, uh, five gentlemen with prostate cancer sitting in a room. When we, when we sample the tumor uh, tissue from all these prostate cancer patients, we find different genes and mutations. 
you know, cancer caused by abnormal or messed up gene. And these genes develop over the time, over the years, maybe two decades, three decades, uh, takes uh, for a normal gene to lose the function and become abnormal, and then they become independent and uh, they, uh, you know, expand and metastasize and become a full-blown cancer. So uh, when we sample the tumor, we find different genes. Let's say if we, uh, we have one medication, one single medication that uh, randomly or blindly is given to these patients. Are we expecting to get the same results? Obviously not. Every one of us may react to that specific medication differently. So in order to improve the outcome and be more specific and be right on the target, we have to do genetic studies for each individual patient and find those driver genes or uh, in, in, in other words, we call them actionable mutations in order to improve the outcome and uh, right uh, killing the cancer cells and spare the normal cells. So when we talk about those mutations, actionable mutations, actually that means that either we have a medication approved by FDA for that specific mutation or that specific mutation is being tested in a clinical trial with a specific medication uh, to be tried on different patients. So uh, based on the results of many trials, retrospective studies done so far, from let's say 100 patients, if we run these genetic studies, at least 10% of the them, 10% of those define some actionable mutations that we can act on and uh, use a targeted therapy and get the best results. So to expand this into other diseases, in, in medicine, it's not only for cancer, because uh, we are born with certain genetic make makeup. And at any uh, point in time in the future, based on our, you know, in our parents, we may develop some kind of diseases and cancer is one of them. Uh, aging is the most common cause of cancer. Aging also causes more mutations to develop in our body. And that uh, after age 50 is uh, taking a different speed. We develop more mutations after age 50 and those mutations at some point in time may turn into a cancer gene and develop cancer. So everything in this world now for the last two decades, we are moving toward a more precise uh, medicine, precision medicine uh, to uh, obviously get better results, uh, more targeted treatments and improving the survival and quality of life. So that's the goal that we have in treating any diseases, quality of life and improving the survival. Yes, I was talking to a pain management uh, neuroscientist, actually, and it was interesting because um, he was explaining that when they did this type of precision therapy with the genetics, they found that some bodies, for example, uh, metabolized oxytocin different than other pain medication. And because they knew that they had the ability to work with the patient in a way that they would reduce their pain in such an efficient way, which on the other side would minimize 
um, you know, addiction to pain uh, medication, um, and especially even people who uh, are diagnosed by cancer, obviously they have a lot of pain. So they were looking at how much, um, how much pain medication they could give, which metabolized faster, and therefore it would give them less pain and therefore not get into addiction. I talked to another group, which were psychotropic medication, where it would, uh, when they knew exactly what their, uh, the, the patient's uh, genetic could handle as far as the psychotropic medication, they didn't have, they didn't do this type of uh, the, uh, the testing that they do. Okay, now go on this antidepressant. Oh, whoops, it didn't work after four weeks. Now let's go to the other one. Oh, whoops, it got bipolar. Oh, you know, we've got manic. So um, many of these type of, let's say, trial and error got to be very, very efficient by this type of pre precision um, technology that you were talking about. Yes, exactly. Um, many uh, medications we're using in oncology, like hormones, uh, we are testing uh, sometimes before prescribing the medication to the patients. Uh, all of us, again, it goes back to our genetic makeup. We have a different pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics when uh, we absorb and take some medication in our body. So as you mentioned, uh, eluded, uh, some of our are fast metabolizing, the others, they are slow metabolizing. And, and that can affect the efficacy and the toxicity at the same time of every single medication. So in order to better choose and use the, these medications in combination, because most of our patients, cancer patients are elderly. They already have blood pressure problems, diabetes, cholesterol. They take a lot of medications. We call it polypharmacy. So imagine when we, uh, you know, uh, pitching some new medication for cancer among all others that they are already taking. So how this new medication can interact with other medications and maybe you're giving harm or you know, less efficacy. So we have to balance this out by using this high-tech uh, you know, genetic testing that still uh, all of them actually are available and we can run them. At the same time, we're testing the mutations for the cancer gene. We can test this uh, you know, genetic test for, um, you know, uh, pharmacodynamic and pharmacokinetic property of each individual patient. So they will have a map, basically, a genetic map. Uh, part of it is related to the tumor and part of it is related to their, you know, normal body function. And that's also uh, dictated by the genes. So it's so complicated, but at the same time, it's going to be more targeted therapy. It's a more balanced between the toxicity and the benefit. So obviously we don't want to give more harm. We're trying to reduce the harm and give more benefit by giving this medication altogether. Dr. Javadi, can all, people come into Hope Health Center also for preventive measures of taking these tests or do they, um, do they come to you after they have been diagnosed? Majority of the patients we see in our clinic, they are cancer patients. When they're coming to our clinic, what we do, we run those genetic tests from the tumor tissue. At the same time, we take the blood sample and run some uh, series of genetic tests that will tell us 
if that patient has any inherited gene from their parents. We call them germline mutation study. Based on the results of those germline mutation study, the hereditary genes, we can screen the whole family of that specific patient. So we use that patient to screen the whole family. If they have, for example, we have, we have seen a lot of surprises in our clinic. Patient comes with a lung cancer and we find a gene in that patient that can cause ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, or breast cancer in their, in their family member. So we tell them that they need to do genetic counseling and the rest of the family should be screened. At the same time, we can send this blood test for pharmacodynamic, dynamic and pharmacokinetic studies to find if they have a specific enzyme function which can metabolize faster or slower specific medications like painkillers, which is a common example of that. So it's like a package that everything can be done together. Then when uh, at the time we get this results back, we, uh, we do another consultation, reviewing the test results with the patient and the family member, and we tell them what's, what will be the next step in order to treat the patient more specifically, as well as the screening the family members for any cancer. So if somebody actually uh, has a family member who has been diagnosed with cancer, can yes. they, although they have not been diagnosed yet, can they come to Hope Health Center and say, one of my family members have, may I take that, uh, the precision test? Exactly. Anybody who has a family member with a cancer, even if they don't have any disease, they can come and get the test done. Uh, so there is a 10% chance they have a silent, indolent gene in their body they don't know, they're not aware of and that can cause cancer in the future, then we tell them what to do to prevent the cancer, what yeah. kind of screening test they need to do. Right, that's exactly what I wanted to hear, that it's exactly. not just like you're going to get the bad news, but you're also going to get, all right, this might happen, but these are all the ways that you could uh, create a change of lifestyle in order, whether it's your um, nutrition uh, intake or sleep intake or hygiene intake or exercise intake and all the other pieces in how to, uh, promote health for yourself and possibly not have that uh, genetic uh, mutation happen, right? Yes, exactly. Even the healthy people without any history of uh, family history of the cancer, they can come and get the test. Oh, okay. So, so anyone can come in to take the test? Yes, anybody, any individual can do that because uh, some of the uh, Cancer genes, they may not show themselves in the immediate generation. It could go back to, you know, further generation back in time. So they are not aware. And but this, uh, the panel that you have um, checks for uh, the genetic components of cancer. Does it also check for other types of um, diseases or just yeah. the, the panels are for cancer? Yeah, the panel uh, uh, check for the hereditary gene causing cancer. Also, the hereditary gene can cause different diseases, like more, uh, let's say they can tell that the patient is, uh, you know, having more predisposition to diabetes or certain autoimmune diseases. So yes, that can be done even in healthy individual to know their risks for the future. Beautiful. Um, in one minute, anything we haven't touched upon that you really want our audience to know about uh, yourself, uh, this technology, or H Hope Health Center? Well, the, the most important thing about uh, 
you know, treating cancer. Let's that that's my job uh, as an oncologist. Uh, any cancer patient at any stage, that's very important. It's not only, only for the early stages of the cancer because people think we, some oncologists, community oncologists still, they run these genetic tests when the standard treatment does not respond anywhere. That's not true. We have to perform and do these tests upfront for any cancer patients at early stage, any stage. The reason is, when we treat, start treating this patient at any point in time in the future, if the cancer relapse and come back, if we know what was going on in the beginning, it will help us to treat that patient better, more uh, through uh, a precise medicine and also uh, targeting the disease uh, more precisely. So in order to accomplish that, every patient, when they see their oncologists or primary physicians, they should run these genetic tests to know better what was going on and to get a more targeted personalized approach. Otherwise, if we lose this opportunity, and I'm, that's, I'm emphasizing any patient that has cancer, the most important treatment for that patient is the very first treatment. If you are not going to do a targeted, effective personalized therapy, we lose that opportunity. If the cancer come back, it's not curable anymore. A cure is only the very first stage of the disease. We want to kill it once and for all and don't uh, let them come back. Now, if uh, just one more question. If, um, other, if people have uh, their insurance in a sense uh, connected to other certain hospitals or all of that, can they still come to Home Hope Health Center and get this testing and then uh, go back to other hospitals or different things that they need to do, or do they do the testing and do the treatment with the Hope Health Center? You know, uh, the, the testing, uh, genetic testing is covered by most insurances. So when they come here, even medical is covering uh, Medicare and private insurances. Certain HMOs may have problem and uh, we try to, uh, you know, uh, guide them through this testing and let them know we were we're working with these genetic labs they're trying to accommodate the best they can even the worst scenario if it's not covered by insurance the cash price uh, you know offered by these genetic labs is, re is really not high it's not uh, something that uh, nobody can afford it's affordable and i think it's worth it to do it once in the beginning in order to get a customized, personalized therapy. That's amazing. I think that it's so important for people to have uh, information and for physicians to have information versus, uh, uh, you know, we have this kind of um, um, a generalized idea about the disease and the generalized idea of what the treatments are. But uh, this type of precision therapy and treatment and actually assessment that for the treatment, what it does, it really custom makes that particular treatment for that person based on their genetic. And it's no longer this kind of, a, oh, a generalized thing is out there. Let's, let's just try and see what happens. Yes. So it's really um, an amazing work. Like with one of the scientists that we were talking, he said, it's almost like, you know, we have this, uh, we have this idea and we have this technology, 
but it's not out there for people everywhere. So it is so amazing that you have it and you offer it. He was uh, saying it as an analogy of we already have uh, uh, breaks and uh, you know these um, the, the seats seats uh, that that when you I forgot the name of it at, at this point my brain isn't working but um, th that they blow up you know in the cars that uh, when you get into an accident in order to protect you and he said we have this technology and is as if the cars aren't using it yet and um, you know it's not uh, it's not uh, available to the mass and what I'm hearing you say is at Hope Health Center this technology is available for everyone. And uh, it's important for people who have um, gotten diagnosed um, or have not been diagnosed. They have a family member who has been diagnosed or they just wanted really the curiosity yes. about having, uh, making sure that they are taking care of themselves from a preventive st stage to come in, uh, do the test, the genetic test, get their results and then um, and then get educated uh, about what they need to do, whether for treatment or uh, prevention. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be on our show and letting our audience know what is available in order for them to have the right treatment and uh, hopefully never have cancers, uh, e either never get it or if they have it for it never to come back. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Dr. Nader Javadi and everyone go check out Hope Health Center. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. everyone, welcome back. I'm Dr. Pujan Zain, and I am excited to have Dr. Behnam Makhshande with me. He is an accomplished business manager, known widely as a dynamic writer, speaker, personal and business coach, and trainer with over two decades of hands-on experience. Implementing his skills as a passionate visionary leader, he produces extraordinary results in record time. Dr. Bachande brings his broad experience and successful track record to each project, whether it involves personal development, implementing customer-focused programs, integrating technologies, marketing, redesigning operational core process, or delivering strategic in initiatives. He is the author of a couple of books, um, two of them already in market, so I strongly advise all of you to go get them. They're amazing books. He's been on my show before because of those books. One of them is Anatomy of Upset, Restoring Harmony, and the other one, The Conspiracy of Greatness, The Mastery, Love, um, the Mastery of Love Within. And his upcoming books, he is actually co-authoring books. One of them is Coaching for Managers, which are gonna, is going to be out in November of this year. But today we're gonna to actually talk about organizational development intervention, which is uh, coming out in a couple of weeks. Welcome to the show, Dr. Uh, Bashande. Thank you, Dr. Bashan Zain. I appreciate the very kind introduction. Thank you very much. So let's first explain what organizational development is and why is it that um, people who are uh, listening or watching us would even have a desire or a need 
for um, a coach and someone who has, um, you know, for their organization, for their businesses, what is it that they, why is it that they need this? Organization development as a concept is a very broad, broad uh, concept. But to simply, to simplify it, uh, I call it organization development intervention. It's a, um, it's a planned participative effort for change. Planned, it means is planned by the management structure, uh, involve participation of the workforce employees and the outcome of it is a change. It, this kind of change is what we call in the industry bottom-up change. Usually what is consulted to do mostly uh, with the assistant, with the top managers, senior managers, they plan a up-to-bottom kind of top-to-bottom kind of change. Because mostly organizations and businesses, especially small businesses, which should be mostly are owner operative uh, kind of businesses, they think they know everything they need to know to implement the change. And mostly they don't go to the workforce, to the floor level employees and ask them input and ideas about what changes need to be done. The nature and the foundation of organization development or short OD is a bottom-up process, which obviously has to be supported by management, has to be supported by a sponsor um, to pay for the client to that be the business. Uh, without their support, it's not going to get done. They have to believe that if we go from bottom-up, it, it will create a more sustainable change because if you don't get uh, support and endorsement of the labor, workforce, employees, no change will ever last. It just be for a couple of weeks and everything goes back to normal. So uh, organization development um, kind of uh, manifesting itself in a several different levels. Uh, the very obvious, the very first level is individual level. As you can imagine, all organizations, regardless of the size of them or dimensions of them, are built by individuals. Managers, supervisors, labor, staff, human resources, suppliers, contractors, everybody who is involved individually. So one of the very uh, popular OD intervention, which is very close to science of psychology, is individual change. I'm sure in your business, you've been through that for decades, had to implement a change, which is comes from uh, someone recognized the mindset at work or in relationship in psychology um, version, uh, recognize their attitude based on that mindset and how that attitude determine their behavior at work. The next level is the uh, uh, transformation on between two or three people. Usually it's between the, the individual and the managers or two of the individuals and the supervisors in that level of two or three people. After that is a level of teams with a team of 
that work in a, in a department. After that, is the department itself or the category of the that section of department. After that, goes to the organization as a whole. After that, is a nas national wide change in the industry. For example, on the manufacturing industry or pharmaceutical industry. And after that, the much bigger level is international change, that all the same industries start implementing organization development changes on global sites. There is a lot to talk about about these changes. I can see um, working with a lot of people uh, regarding their businesses or their team. Um, I obviously work from the individual space. You work with a bigger space of all of the phases that you talked about. Obviously, what is important is if you have an organization, the people on the front line and who are actually doing many of the work with the customers um, are very important in not only uh, the, the way that they have the passion that they can in, interconnect. They want to get up every morning and actually come to work and enjoy the hours that they're working because their talent and who they are and their passion comes and gives the fruit to the company. And then obviously from the company to the customer and whatever the products are. And um, the experience of being needed, being valued, their words are being valued, what they do is valued, is, it's very important. So um, you're accurate about when the organization is only top to bottom and they only make some decisions from a different angle and trinkle it down and not necessarily take on the consideration of uh, the, you know, as, as the employees are there and what their needs are, um, it gets, um, it gets divided. People don't care anymore. If they think that nobody cares for them, they in return don't care for the company. And that's where we see a culture change. And one of the things that you do is to shift that culture. But in order to shift that culture is getting to know people who are within that culture, within that city, and then getting to know what their needs are and their characters are and how we could, you could bring what the need of everyone in the company is to the goal and the mission of the company and kind of marry them. See, Dr. Zane, a lot of people make a lot of talks about their organization culture. Almost with most certainty, many people who they are catching up with the new businesses and new advancements in organization development have a company's vision, mission statement, set of values and principles. But funny you mentioned this because recently I read a couple articles that as you know, the pandemic had a huge impact on availability of labor in the market. You can hear it now in the news that many, many organizations are struggling with their employees coming back, not coming back to work, or they cannot find people. I saw many fast food organizations that they schedule their work in less hours. I went to restaurants, to other small businesses that they close at five, they close at two. They don't have anybody to work. Now, the article was pointing out many organizations who did not lay off their people. They kept their people, they get governmental support, PPP loans, and they kept their workforce. And they are still now operating in full operation capacity. 
organizations who, I don't want to accuse people who are not caring about workforce, but if they are looking only at their profitability and not looking at sustainability after the pandemic, now they're dealing with a huge impact of labor now coming to work. Now, I don't want to get to the social element of this breakdown, but when our government provided PPP loan, I don't see any reason for organization to not keep the workforce when they don't have to pay back the loan. If they prove they provided payroll and expenses, that would bring us to how much an organization really care about employment engagement, supporting the employees, promoting their work. There's so many elements that have an influence on workforce productivity in organizations. The very uh, largest one that I experienced over 27 years work I did in organizations is inner relationship between management and the workforce. Respect, value, engagement, and as you mentioned, they know they've been wanted and respected. And it's interesting because um, part of the new culture of large corporation is to make it lean. So no matter what happens that you know, some percentage at the bottom gets leaned out regardless every year or sometimes in some of the companies twice a year and definitely changes the morale of the company because obviously people think that my, um, you know, I either have to get into competition to keep looking at keep people right who I am or that I will be uh, lost. So it's almost like they don't care about me, but um, it, it's, it's just that it's a numbering system. And at any point, I either have to put a lot of stress on myself to constantly prove the competition. And then it's no longer from a cooperative stance. It, it's more like, who can I dump down in order for me to not be part of the, the, the lean? So it takes away the cooperativeness of the employees together. And it, it fosters a culture of, um, you know, cutthroat competition. Obviously, competitive edge uh, gives a lot of um, agency and it gives a lot of passion for some people to do better and excel. But some sort of a culture um, could also shift this into a cutthroat concept versus an enjoyment of a competition. You know, it's almost like, you know, like sports team, you know, they enjoy what they do. So you could be competitive and then enjoy what you do. And at the end of, you know, every day, every month, you're like, yay, you know, we're still a team of obviously we compete together in order to excel. But it's very different than I'm competing for my survival every day you know, with desk beside me, that becomes a whole different culture. And something that you do is taking that culture and making it more, not only efficient, but also more cohesive with the teamwork. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, as a businessman myself, profitability and financial well-being of organization is one of the main factors of running a business. Hands down, we have to be responsible of profitability and uh, sustainability, sustainability of the business. However, there is a whole new approach to business management and employee engagement through inclusiveness, uh, through engagement, through diversity and appreciate diversity. And these are new practices that many organizations start implementing 
that would make a difference for them. Uh, allow me to talk about something very simple, but very significant. Why most OD interventions are failing? Statistically, close to 74 to 75% of the change efforts are failing. And people thinking, why am I spending this much time and effort and if three out of four chances to fail? And I always give this piece of information to all my corporate clients first. If you don't understand this, you're wasting your time and money and wasting my time and effort. Here are some simple, simple bullet points I wrote to talk about why this effort mostly fail. Management don't see any reason or need for change. Then they're wondering why the turnover is high and why they cannot retention the workforce. They don't feel any urgency for change. Usually they come to somebody like me for implementing change when it's almost too late. They don't agree on how they should change. You do the data collection, you do the analysis, you do the diagnosis, you go to them and they said, no, this is not correct. <laughs> Funny. They, People who are involved don't agree on what to change or how to change. You bring them to board of directors, to some management team, and they cannot agree. Mostly survival behavior, the mindset of I'm in trouble if I agree to the change, and they stick it to their guns. They don't know who should change. Usually everybody else needs to change except me. Managers think others should change, but not themselves. People who are involved don't know what successful change should look like. They can't even imagine what else is possible. They can envision what is possible and they're sticking to what they know because it's comfortable. They don't know when to change. They don't know where to change. They don't know why they should change and they don't know how to change. They are resisting the change because they worry about what they would have to give up for that change, which is in their view, mostly is they have to pay more, they have to cut hours. And when we, when we go to HR documents and reviewing and collecting data about the last three years, and I show them how much money went out the door while they train and develop new hires. And the new hire went to next door competition for dollar or dollar fifty raise. It's amazing how much money go out the door. Yes. I know that um, also uh, there has been a time um, I'm, I, I was working with this people in a company where uh, the sales, it was about the beauty products and actually machines that they worked for aesthetic and, and the facial. And I remember working with some of the people in the staff and salespeople and the, the you know, people who would be doing the work with the customers and the company's head um, lead CEO uh, had an idea about the pricing and had an idea about how it needed to be done. But like you said, never actually sat down and li listened to not only the sales group and are going out there and trying to sell or the people who were getting services to the customer. 
So what we what we ended up is everybody was complaining. Not only the customers were complaining, but the staff were complaining. And every time they took this to the upper management, it was like, you don't understand, we're going to keep this method. Well, if you have salesperson who are supposed to sell and you're not listening to them, um, uh, they became hopeless almost, like powerless and hopeless. And instead of actually going out there and to put their time and effort to sell, they were going out there and putting their time and effort to create connection to hop to another agency and, and to another company because they weren't being listened to at all. And obviously it wouldn't turn into any type of financial gain for the company. So when you say that, you know, knowing when to change, how to change, who to change, what to change, it is so important for the person to be able to assess. And yes, sometimes the, you know, CEOs or the presidents of the companies don't have uh, the time or the system or even the know-how or the language or even the listening to be able to do that. And that is when um, experts like yourself come in who do have the knowledge and the system and the test and mechanism and the listening skills to go in and then pick and assess all of those, how, what, when, to be able to create that change. One of the major factors of the last decade in the necessity of change is the technology. Technology growing in a fast, lightning pace. And literally people who stick to the old fashioned manufacturing and labor involved with everything, they are falling behind the market and the competition because the new technology and wireless technology, I, I don't, I can't even name them, there's so much and so fast, that organization implementing in a level of management and communication, that if you don't catch up with the fast pace of it, you're falling behind. As you were talking, Dr. Zain, I, I thought of a very small but cute and relevant Zen story. As you know, in the discipline of Zen, the masters make a difference by telling the stories. A story of not letting go of what you know, a story of not letting go of need for a change is a guy was walking down the road, getting to a village, walking through alleys and the streets of the village, and there is no population, don't see anybody. But they hear, he hear commotions close to a little lake pond. He getting close and see the whole population is around this lake shouting to the middle of the lake and saying, let it go, let it go. He get close and he see a woman trying to save her own life, struggling, drowning, while holding a big rock. And this rock is drowning her and she don't let go. And the guy said, why are you not letting it go? And she said, it's mine. Not letting it go because it's hers. And a lot of business people, a lot of corporates sticking to what they know, but that's all they know. And they don't know anything else. And they don't know what they don't know. One of the most successful ways to make a difference from my point of view with the management is I always make a promise. If you cooperate with me and trust the process and trust the technology of organization development, change will happen. And if you resist it, it's not. I'm requesting don't resist it for two quarters. 
And if you don't make profit, if your turnover not going down and profitability not going up, don't pay me. I doubt for deal. And so far, not the work. So far, so good. <laughs> In one minute or so, what is it that you would want our audience to know uh, about your book, the Organization Development Interventions, um, executive executing effective organizational change that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, thank you. This book is the product of Dr. William Rockwell, who's one of the prominent OD characters in the industry, wrote over 140 books in seven different languages. And I was honored to be invited by him and Dr. M. Bruce, the second author, to, uh, read, uh, to write this book with them. The concept of the book is practical practices for small businesses and medium businesses and even large organizations to implement the organization development intervention and changes. Step-by-step, step, they can follow these processes and implement changes. The book is saturated by tools and practices, element, practical elements of using changes. Beautiful. Um, and um, this, is, this is a book that um, you're, you're telling for, should anybody in the company um, have this book or this is mostly for top management to um, take this on and take on the intervention and implement it in their company? Any senior manager, middle operating manager can use this. And, but the book by itself is designed for practitioners to use it to their business and implement the changes. But it could be used from any business owner, could be used for any individual that would like to implement changes in their own work, their own behavior, or their own relationship. It's good for any business owner to use it for their own operation and learning. And then my, they might see the wisdom of, okay, I'm gonna hire a practitioner now to come and help me implement the changes. And when you talk about, tell me what you mean by a practitioner. That means someone who is a business coach who also has a degree in organizational development? Have a degree or have a practice of organization development. Organization development practices and disciplines are being used in many other disciplines, from human resources development, work, workplace learning and performance, human performance uh, enhancement, many, many uh, disciplines under work and business industry are using OD uh, practices. So for all of you out there who are working in a business, own a business, can support a business, this is the book for you, Organization Development Interventions, Executing Effective Organizational Change by uh, Dr. Rothwell, Dr. Imros and Dr. Behnam Bakshande. It was such a delight to have you. Thank you very much, Dr. Zain. I'm looking forward to future work. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And all of you, and all of you who are out there, create an amazing world for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.